Hello and welcome to today's episode of the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help people like you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if today is your very, very first episode, I want to say welcome. I'm super excited to have you here. You are absolutely in the right place. You could be listening to any other podcast right now, but you are here right now and I'm super excited to hang out with you. And if you're returning, same thing. Can't wait to hang out with you today. Welcome back. You're absolutely what makes this show possible. And if you're listening, that means that you are an incredible human. So excited whether you're a new friend or an old friend. And today we get to hang out with Dr. Jamie Hope. Dr. Jamie Hope is a dual board certified physician specializing in emergency medicine at Beaumont Hospital Royal Oak, which is a level one trauma tertiary care center and is ranked as one of the top 12 busiest emergency departments in the country. Since becoming a physician in 2005, Dr. Hope has had the opportunity to see and treat patients from all walks of life and in all circumstances. In the emergency department, she often sees patients on the worst day of their lives, and she has always been interested in preventative medicine and wondered what people might do to improve their habits and avoid needing to come to the emergency department at all. Dr. Hope is also an assistant professor at the Oakland University Wilman Beaumont School of Medicine and teaches the behavior change and motivational interviewing courses to future physicians. She also speaks all over the country on a broad variety of mental and health-related topics, the most popular of which have been healthy habits, confidence, and overcoming imposter syndrome, and resilience. And in this episode, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what happens to a child's esophagus if a button battery gets swallowed and other crazy ER situations like saving people that have been impaled and shot in the throat? (laughs) Number two, Jamie's creative ways she uses to have an incredible family life and manage relationships despite her hectic schedule as an ER doc, assistant professor, and public speaker, sometimes doing over 50 speaking gigs a year. And look out specifically for the bedtime poem thing she does with her kids. It's so so awesome. And number three, why Jamie's number one goal legitimately is to put herself out of a job as an ER doc and how you can manage imposter syndrome and use her empty strategy, E-M-P-T-Y, to reduce stress and actually stick to your health and fitness goals by shifting your labels and identity. So all that to look forward to today's episode. But as always, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out before we get started, which this week goes out to Greek Eberly, who left a review saying, extreme extremely insightful podcast that drops nuggets of wisdom on each episode. Brandon and his guests provide applicable knowledge to those looking to further their career and companies while finding balance in life. Highly recommend it. So thank you so much for those words, Greek Eberly. And I stopped everything I was doing when when that review came through and read it. I really appreciate that. And if you're a returning listener and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, please do so. Not only will it help more people to discover the show, but it also makes my day. And I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in a future episode. So if you want to do that, you can head to sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review to find out exactly how to do that. And if you choose to leave an honest review, I have some goodies that I would like to give you, including how I get in incredible guests like Dr. Jamie Hope on the show and how you can get the high level connections you need to grow your business. So all those details can be found at sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. And that's seven, the number figure millennials, M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-S.com slash review. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Jamie Hope. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. 
So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Dr. Jamie Hope, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. I am so, so excited to be here, Brandon. Thank you for having me. I love I love your show. I love the messages that you're doing. And I am so excited to get to do this with you today. Yes, for sure. And I was just thinking before we hit record and before I even hopped on with you, it's like, man, we've known each other for almost almost two or three years now. It's like, it's like time has flown because I know we met at Genius Network and I just saw you speak. And then I was like, this is a badass superwoman, <laughs> dual board certified physician. I got you on Jonathan's show and now you're now you're here and it's come full circle and you're on your on you're on my show so i'm super excited this is going to be a ton of fun of course i I love the i very firmly believe in the whole your vibe attracts your tribe concept Mm. and i I feel like we had an instant affinity like this is a good human yes (laughs) i don't know what we're gonna do together but we knew like okay yes we're we're doing things in the world and helping other people and that's why there was just such a good connection Yes, for sure. And now we get to kind of share and just be, you get to be more Jamie and we get, everybody get to listen and hang out with Jamie and Brand today. You'll get our vibe. It's going to be a lot of fun. So oh, yeah. I thought we'd start, I want to, I want to, my goal was to, for, for, was to ask you a question that you've never been asked on a podcast before. I know that sounds scary. So just oh, no, some, nothing, nothing to worry about, but oh, uh, this is really, really random, but I have a reason as to where this is going and where I think this is going to, going to go. So, uh, you were featured in a new segment in D- Detroit and the, the, te- the headline for this, this new segment said annual trouble in Toyland survey released <laughs> reveals dangerous toys. And so this question has to do with hot dogs and button batteries. Oh. So I, like I said, I promise, I promise I know where this is going, but what happens to a child's esophagus if a button battery gets swallowed, Jamie? <laughs> oh my God. It, it, it's actually, that's one of those things as ER docs, we, we're, we're, we're not excitable people in general. I mean, it takes a lot to get us like at this point, even to get my heart rate up with certain things, but a button battery <laughs> will actually erode through it in a very short amount of time. And of course, they look like fun and delicious if you're a toddler with some interesting decision making skills. So that is one of those that like we jump out of the chair, button batteries is a legit problem. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, yeah. I can imagine it kind of looks like a piece of candy. It's a little shinier than usual, but like yeah. totally fair game if you see that laying on the floor. Yeah, like, I mean, maybe this could be delicious. I should try it. <laughs> yeah. So, so it erodes it within, within, so you got to get in really, really quickly. And so the, the reason why I want to start with that is because you see the craziest shit <laughs> every single <laughs> yes. day. And so I, I kind of wanted to maybe start here just so people kind of have a little bit of the picture of the kind of things that you're dealing with. So besides, you know, toddlers ingesting button batteries, <laughs> are you able to share any other really crazy ER stories that you've maybe had that, that have stuck in your recent memory? Oh my gosh. Well, if there is an orifice, there is a person who will stick something in it. Um, like toddlers make bad choices. Uh, so do adults, just, just to be fair. Um, and especially around holidays, you know, the 4th of July just happened recently before we recorded this and, uh, you mix the toxic combination of testosterone and alcohol and all of a sudden people are, (laughs) yeah. So like, "Ah, maybe I should hold this in my teeth and impress my friends. So yes. Many, many things. So people end up in front of me on the worst day of their life. And that is our our duty, our calling to help undo as much damage as we can. 
Okay. So is there a strangest thing that you're allowed to share? Like the weirdest thing that you're like, I can't believe I would have ever seen this in my life, but I saw it happen. Is there one of those that sticks out? You know, impalements tend to be a pretty remarkable <laughs> thing that you remember for years. Um, and seeing, particularly like given the circumstances in a car accident, things can come through the window. So I, I remember a specific impalement situation and the person was awake and talking and uh. like with a tree branch through their butt. It was, and you piece occasionally people actually do survive it. I've seen somebody with a gunshot wound to the neck. This is the, see, this is bad decision-making. This is what they were doing. These three young guys were hunting. And so one was going to stand here. One was going to stand exactly opposite him. And the third guy was going to chase the deer in between the two of them. And then they were going to shoot at the deer. Great. No surprise. Uh, one of them shot the other one. Good Lord. Right. What? Yeah. And then, um, and in the neck, even if you're not a medical person, you're aware there's some pretty important structures in here and not a lot of space. So the yeah. fact that he took one to the neck and survived and did fine. It's just, I mean, remarkable stories of the things that humans can go through. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you have a, a long, long list. And I remember this wasn't the first time we met, but it was at the annual event for Genius Network. And I saw you across the lobby and I ran and gave you a hug and you had a, you had a, a splint on your pinky or some other finger. I don't remember why you broke it, but you're always, you're always doing these crazy things. And I remember you telling me, you're like, I don't know if it was this time or a previous time you were on a flight, you've saved multiple, you're the people when, when you're on an airplane, they're like, we need a doctor if someone's around like you. So that's happened multiple times where you've just been on an airplane and saved someone's life too, I'm sure. Oh yeah. So, so after the sixth time I've done that, sixth time. <laughs> a lot of my friends had, have now say like, we kind of don't want to fly with you. We're a little worried you've got some kind of like black cloud situation going on. <laughs> um, so yes, definitely very funny, but it is helpful to be on a plane. And one of the times where the patient was the sickest, I, uh, I was, had my infant daughter with me. And yeah. so I'm like, I need to help this person. But fortunately my in-laws were also on the plane because my husband and I are both ER docs. So we were helping with the patient. And so she was able to take the baby so we could do that. Cause he was, he was quite sick, man. Okay. So everybody listening now, you kind of have, you have a taste, a, a teeny little tip <laughs> of the iceberg of the kind of things that, that Jamie deals with the lives that she saves on a daily basis. And so I kind of wanted to reverse back a little bit and unpack your, your story and how you came to get to this point. And I know it has to be, it's, it's not getting bit by a radioactive spider or, or some lab, even though it might, might very well be. But there, so there are a few stories that I've kind of come across from other podcasts that you've been on in, the, in your book that I thought would be kind of a cool way to kind of show people how you became to be this, this, this superwoman. So I thought maybe the easiest one would be to start with uh, would be a trampoline incident. So would you mind sharing an incident about a uh, trampoline when you, were, when you were very young and how that had to do with you becoming a doctor? Yes, one of one of my favorite tales, actually, because it's quite vivid in my memory. And it truly was a very transformative day for me. Um, so I, I was a, about 10 years old and I was jumping on a trampoline with my BFF, Erica. And, you know, one of those big trampolines. And keep in mind, this is way predating safety nets. <laughs> not only did it not have a safety net, it didn't even have padding. It was like the edges were rusty springs. I mean, we should, we, why, we should have just sprinkled some broken glass around it. And just Might it. as well. Yes. And <laughs> some heroin needles. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> See how bad we can make this. And to add a little extra element of danger, we were jumping with a big kid named Ben. And so the way that it happens, of course, Erica and Ben hit the trampoline at that exact right moment that creates the big bounce. So Erica went up into the air, over the rusty springs, 
and onto the ground. And the screams were immediate. So I slide across the Rusty Springs, jump down to see what's going on with my BFF. And it was very clear to my medically untrained eyes that her elbow was bent in a direction that elbows are not supposed to bend. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I could just pull on it here, maybe <laughs> twist it, I could probably pop it back into place. And she's like, no, you idiot, go get my mom. <laughs> Nobody wants a 10-year-old to be reducing their elbow. And I remember being disappointed with myself that I didn't know how to fix it. Hmm. And that I, that was something that was so important to me. So uh, like a good, curious little scientist, I went to the library. Yes, library. I am older than the internet, folks. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. And started doing books about first aid. So if something ever like that happened in front of me again, I would be able to be useful, be helpful, and know what to do. And that's when I realized that an innate part of who I am is I'm a healer. And so to know yourself so young was a blessing. It was not a curse. It did not scare me. It pointed me crystal clear in the direction that I needed once I understood one of my two archetypes. And that one came clear very quickly. Mm, I love that. There are two, two things that kind of really stuck out to me. And I've heard you tell this story before, but some, there's one word that stuck out to me more. So this time when I've heard you say it, and you said disappointed. Um, and, and so do you think that like that, like you felt disappointed on the inside and then a normal 10 year old wouldn't want to go to a library. I mean, it takes a lot for a 10 year old to drag their parents to a library and say, I want to go look up books on medicine. So like, do you think that that came from something else? Like, did your parents instill that in you? Or was that just kind of like as early as you can remember? That's just who you were. That's just me. And my parents, I grew up very, very fortunate. Like you, I mean, amazing parents, loving, supportive in no way at any time did they ever try and push me to medicine. I'm first generation mm. college. I was my sister and I were the first ones to ever go. In fact, when I said I wanted to go to medical school, their first response was, "Are you crazy?" And then it was like, "No, no, in a nice way. Like we we know you can do it, but are you sure?" And then you know, we my dad was did physical labor as his profession and taught me rock solid work ethic. And he said, "Okay, but we, we can't support you, but we support you big time." Mm. So I, I was never pushed. I'm very fortunate. I know some of my physician friends, their families pushed them a lot harder. Um, so it was just, it was truly something within me and mm. my mom being the huge bookworm that I was as a kid and still continues to be. And she brings book to my, books to my children. In fact, they know her so well at the library. She might as well work there. <laughs> so she was very supportive of driving me to the library and me finding all of these, the books. And as soon as I was old enough, they drove me to take first aid classes at the Red Cross. And that's when I discovered my second archetype, again, crystal clear as, I mean, no question what it was. As I was sitting in the class, I was watching them teach it, thinking, I want to do that. I want to teach other people so they feel safe and secure and will know what to do in emergency situations. So knowing, like, before I was even old enough to drive that I am a healer and a teacher, I had no clear path in front of me, no role models that I had had experience with nobody in my family had ever done anything like this and nobody in our, in their circle of friends or anything, but I knew, I just knew. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, Brandon, that, you know, you, you have this thing inside of you. When you started this, you knew you had messages to bring forth, bring out people's stories. You're magical at connecting. 
and bringing out the best in people. I mean, that's, that's one of your archetypes. It's one of your superpowers. And so for everybody listening, when you know who you are and you're following your true North, somehow it all just works. It really, really works. That's so incredible. And yeah, this is a very, very recurring theme on the show is just like how important it is to go back to the earliest recollections of, of your experiences and diving deeper there, because I don't know, it seems, it seems like you, Jamie, maybe you're kind of an anomaly, but it seems like you kind of had this experience and you just went straight for it and you didn't really, really turn back. But I think lots of people have these like experiences and they didn't even really realize that they were impacting the way that they experience the world. And so sometimes it it requires a little bit of excavation. Um, But, but that's so cool. And I, I love that. I mean, to go from first generation college student to dual board certified physician is pretty crazy. Like, did you have any other, if your parents just said, you know, we, we can't support you, but we support you. Did you have any other role models that you were kind of looking up to that kind of helped pull you up to that kind of stuff? Cause I mean, going through all that schooling and you know, that's not easy stuff. And, and if your parents, you know, maybe didn't have, you didn't, you didn't have anyone to model after for that kind of behavior. Was there somebody else that was helping you? I actually had a few detractors. Which detractors. was very interesting. I, yes, I had a high school teacher tell me I wasn't college material, despite the fact that I was in AP calculus. I wasn't the top student, but I was there and I was doing it. That wasn't my favorite subject, but I worked really hard. And so to discourage a young person, particularly when you're vulnerable and don't have that, that you know, the financial support, the educational support, even though my parents gave me all the emotional support possible, I didn't know how to apply to college. I didn't know how to apply for scholarship, all these things. I did have one school guidance counselor that helped me briefly before he, uh, that he left the school, but I didn't know how to ask somebody for mentorship. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know who to find. So that's one of my regrets that I didn't, I didn't know, not just that I didn't know how to find it, but I, I was afraid to ask. And a lot of us, you know, bootstraps type of kids who are pulling ourselves up for some reason have this crazy idea that asking for help is a sign of weakness. So that was a lesson I wished I had learned much earlier in my life. But once I started to see that I could do this and figured out how to ask for help, now I have, I mean, mentors, coaches, role models. You, you are a role model of mine. You mentor me. We all talk and share best practices, all the people in Genius Network, but it took me far too long to figure that out. And now it, I've also made it one of my life's missions to do whatever I can to mentor other people. To Love help. that. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to skip around in the order that I thought this was going to go, but I, so <laughs> one of the things that I did when I prepared for this interview is I texted our good friend, Andre Norman. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to Andre's episode, he was on, he's a fantastic person. I was like, Andre, I know you hang out with Jamie. What are some good so questions? Good. Listen to, to it twice. You guys, you actually will get nuggets the second time through you will have heard something and you're like, Oh yeah, it really clicks. Andre is just absolutely one of my favorite humans. He's a, yeah, he has awesome. stayed in my house petted my dogs, played with my kids. I love him. Awesome. Oh man. That's so cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was like, he had came to visit you in Michigan and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. So one of the things that Andre said to ask is like, I'll just read it. How Andre said, he said, being a successful doctor, how did you end up in genius networking, connecting with ultra successful business people when most of your connections weren't from that world? Because I mean, that's kind of feel like what you were just talking about is learning how to connect with people, but not only have you kind of risen to the top in the medical field, but now you've, you know, you, you transitioned 
and, and started to incorporate the teaching component and connecting with people. So um, since you kind of naturally led me there and Andre tossed that to me, <laughs> how did that end up happening? How did you go from, you know, the already crazy busy world and decided to go and do this teaching stuff? And how did you end up in circles like Genius Network with, with all those other people? You know, it, it's such a, an amazing thing. Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, is this my life? This is so amazing. <laughs> I had for years, I, I read personal development stuff. I could pretty much do Zig Ziglar by heart, even with the accent. So good. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I, so good. And I was, um, as Alex Mendozian said, the most overmotivated underachiever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wasn't referring to me when he said that. I just think that that quote is hilarious. So I had read all the books, but I wasn't doing it. I was going to be a speaker, going to be an author, going to do all these things, but I wasn't actually doing them. Now, to be clear, being a full-time ER doc is great. Like it's plenty. <laughs> I had enough on my plate, but there was that pull, that thing that told me, Yes, I love helping people on the worst day of their life. I've had so many people ask me now that I'm successful at other stuff, why do I still do it? It's because I love it. I don't ever want to give it up. The hours suck. The work is hard, but I love it. And it's what I'm meant to do. But I knew that I could help people upstream so they didn't end up there on the worst day of their life. And I couldn't let go of that calling. And so I went from I'm going to do this to action. I opened up myself to the universe. I don't, I don't even remember exactly how I did it. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So I, my first one was a Vern Harnish conference, one of his scale-up summits. Vern is an amazing guy, just wonderful gentleman. I adore him. We've traveled together. I've seen him speak a bunch of times. He's such a great guy. And I went to his conference the first year and I was still going to, and I met Dave, David Berg, who you know from Genius Network. And he said, you're not really an entrepreneur until you make a sale. <laughs> in a loving guiding way. Like you have to actually do it. You can't just going to do it. And then I made it back the next year and I saw this crazy guy on stage and he talked about a lot of marketing stuff that was above my head, but I was like, wow, he's brilliant. And he said a few things that really, really stuck out. One of the very first things he said in his talk is anyone who says money can't buy happiness, hasn't given enough, given enough of it away. And I dropped my pen and looked up and I was like, here's this rich, successful guy. I'm like, that was awesome. And then he said, um, you know, it, instead of asking why the addiction, ask why the pain. And I see so much of that in emergency medicine and people are very judgmental, even in the medical system. I, I wish that weren't true, but it is. And so afterwards, I, I kind of felt a little like it was a little ballsy. I mean, this guy is famous. He's super successful. Who, who am I to go say hi? But I knew that I could help him. I knew that what I do in a, the emergency room was so aligned with his mes- message about addiction. I knew I had to go meet this guy and figure out a way. To, so other people were asking for you know autographs. They were asking for advice, asking him to invest in stuff. And I went up and said, hi there. You don't know me, Mr. Joe Polish, but I work in one of the busiest level one trauma centers in the country. And I think that we could do something together to help with addiction. And from that moment forward, Joe became one of my dearest friends. And again, like a good true friend kind of gave me the, you're not really an entrepreneur. If you're not actually doing anything, talk <laughs> and said, stop going to be a speaker and actually do it. And so like in, uh, like in one of the podcasts that you talked about earlier with the billiards, you don't want to play with people who are at your level or below. And so when I started hanging out with people at this, I jumped immediately from (laughs) 
nothing to this incredibly high level group. And it was, it was scary. It was intimidating, but at the same time, everybody was so welcoming. I did get a lot of, wait, you're a doctor. Why, why exactly are you here at this? But it just, I knew it was the right place. I knew it was a great fit. Joel Weldon has helped me with speaking and my life has just continued to change and grow for the better being in a room with such amazing people. Yeah, man, there's so much to unpack there. I'm so glad I asked that. Thank you, Andre, for asking that question. I didn't ask that. That was Andre. Um, But I I love how you just came from a place of service. And I've seen that too. Like anybody that's gone to a conference where you've seen someone speak on stage, the person is mobbed. They have a billion things going on and they're trying to, it's like, being the one person that shows up and, and, you know, Jamie, for those of you who know Joe Polish's world and genius network, he's the founder of genius. If I don't know if we said that already, if, if you've listened to this for the first time, you haven't, haven't, I don't have that context, but like Joe, that's one of Joe's mission in the world is to, is to help people with addiction because he had lots of experiences with addiction growing up. And so, you know, Jamie walked up as the one person that wasn't asking for an investment, but rather like, Hey, I saw that you have this insane passion and I can help you with it. Um, and so I think that really distinguishes. So I, I want to encourage anybody is like, if you're looking at mentorship and service, there's, even though you may feel like you may not have to a lot to give that, that is absolutely not true. First of all, there's plenty that you mm-hmm. can give and I guarantee absolutely. it. Um, but, but, uh, and we could talk about imposter syndrome. I know it's one of your topics as well, but yeah. And, and thank you for listening to the show. I mean, holy crap. Like you're referencing the, the, the Andre episodes and the billiards. So I'm I glad, know, that, glad that you're a listener. <laughs> and the fighter pilot yeah. ones, that was actually making me sweat. I'm like, when the plane's going down or when you feel like you're drowning, Yeah. Waldo, Waldo is great. So, okay. So we, we, we started talking about relationships, right? And I think that most people don't think about relationships as being a a, a component of health, but it absolutely Mm. is like having the right connections. I think, I think everybody has kind of viscerally realized that this past year of being separated from people, but you know, you obviously are someone that prioritize relationships, both in the business settings and then also at home. And so I kind of wanted to dive a little bit into you know, you have all that you've done all these things, but lots of it is because you have great, you have a great home life. And I, I, I somebody I've, I just hear you talk about this all the time. And so I, I didn't know this about you until I listened to another podcast, but your husband is a doctor and a lawyer. Normally, normally when you're Asian growing up and you're told you have to be a doctor or a lawyer, there's never an and in between those two things. So I haven't heard that before. So I, I would love for you to tell the story about how you met your husband and uh, we well, can just start with that. I'm like, yeah, trying to find a more over-motivated nerd than me. And I found one. <laughs> um, originally when I started doing my stuff, I'm like, Hey honey, I want to go do all this extra stuff. And he thought I was crazy. And, but well, let me back up to how we met. So we're both from Michigan. I'm from the Detroit area. He's from Lansing, which is the capital. And we both went to Michigan State University. Go green. Uh, But we were on a tour bus in London when we met. So we had done a a summer abroad. And so we, I mean, we hung out as friends that whole time, really got to know each other, all of that thing. We didn't start dating right away. Um, I I actually wasn't looking to date. I was like, hey, I'm going to go just learn and focus on this. And I'm like, dang, this guy is awfully amazing. There's no way I can pass this up. Um, and we, that was in the year 2000. So I have now officially known him for more of my life than not known him. Mm, You've crossed that threshold. Just just (laughs) crossed that barrier with my last birthday. And I'm so grateful. And so I, um, you know, he, it was so, so funny because he has like, I don't think he's got a drop of entrepreneurial blood in his body. It's just, that is not his thing at all, which is fine. Meanwhile, I'm over here doing all this kind of crazy stuff and he doesn't, he doesn't quite understand it, but he supports it, which I appreciate. 
and he has seen, you know, he has seen me speak and seen some of the, the things I've done and the impact. So even though it's not his jam, because I've had other people like, why don't you pull him up on stage? I'm like, he's not really that interested in it. That's not his jam. But I was pregnant with our second son and absurdly sick. I had an IV going from my arm to my heart and a feeding tube going from my nose into my intestines to carry the pregnancy. I was very sick. And when he said he wanted to go to law school, I'm like, what? What'd you, what did you just say? <laughs> Out of Excuse here. Me? <laughs> like, I had to have heard that wrong. There's no way. What are you talking about? But he has a lot of passion for hospital administration leadership, which I think sounds like kind of absurdly boring. And, for what he's <laughs> and he said, well, most of the people in leadership, he wants to be a chief medical officer someday, possibly CEO, depending on the role that most of the people have an MBA. And I was like, okay, why don't you do that? Because it's shorter and substantially less expensive. Um, But he said, no, this is what I want to do. I feel it. This is, I don't know what the ROI is. I don't know how this is going to work or where it's going to lead me, but I just feel it. And I think the most important thing, even though same like flipping rules, I did not understand what he was talking about, but you just feel like, okay, I feel you. You're being called to this. And he went into law school, never intending to practice law at any point. That was never his goal. His goal is to be a hospital, like a high level hospital administrator. And he is doing remarkable. He just got a promotion and the way that he is saving lives, keeping the system afloat, ensuring that payers pay, that patients are getting the best safety and quality care. So he is truly remarkable. He's one of my heroes and it's that's, nice that's, that we get to share a house. <laughs> that's beautiful. And, and man, there's so much there too, but like this is borrowing a little bit from Tim Ferriss. It's like, if you want to be in the top you know, 1% in the world, like that, like the Olympians, the elite, elite athletes, it's really hard to do that. But if you combine two separate practices and you Mm -hmm. put them into one, you become a lot, you can, you can leverage those two things. So I can totally see how, like, even though most people don't do that, he is probably one of the very, very few people that have that combination and perspective that enables him to do things. So that's super cool. And the fact that you both recognize that you're never going to understand (laughs) why you each other are doing the other things, but it's like, Hey, I support you and you need to do it. (laughs) Got a thing. And what will make sense for the entrepreneurs out there who have zero intention of ever going to medical or, and, or law school. It was, it's like you said, it's that combination of skills. It was the following your path, even if you don't always see it the correct way, but he has learned so much from that experience and for what he does. So sometimes you have to be like, you have to leap a little bit. And for us, because we had always been financially responsible, we never lived at the top of our income. We had savings, we had investments because when he was in law school, he was going full time. So now I am supporting us completely on my income versus where we had two physician incomes and we were able to do that. So the really important message also is you can follow your dreams if you have that stable base or if you could, I mean, they wouldn't let two doctors take out loans. So that wasn't an option. Yeah, we got to pay for it. There are so many ways to make your dreams happen. It is it's possible even honestly, sometimes if it seems crazy, it's probably the right thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is going back a little bit because you were mentioning the story about how he told you about the fact that he wanted to go into law school when you were pregnant and on the on the feeding Mm -hmm. tube and that kind of stuff. I think I saw this in your book. You can vomit around a feeding tube. You discovered that the hard way. True story. Yes, you, you, would, you would not guess that I have, I have many special skills. I am a professional vomiter when I'm pregnant. Um, 
And I've had so many people tell me like, oh, when your kids are older, you got to tell them what they do. And I was like, well, they didn't do that to me. That was my body. I, they, I, it was glorious that they got to come through me. And I was so sick when I was pregnant with my second that they said that, you know, this very ill-advised physician told me I didn't have to continue the pregnancy because I was so sick. And I told him, and I'm going to use the exact phrase I used, that door over there is where you can fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This child is coming through me. And they said, okay, you know, he'll be special needs and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? He is quite special needs. He is at least a grade, almost two grades ahead in math and reading. So there's a lot of special needs keeping up with him. He is extremely coordinated. He's been beating me at chess and I don't let him win since he's been four. And when I pitch a ball to him that I pitch and immediately duck because this kid is such a good athlete. So (laughs) seems like his needs are pretty special to me. Yeah, that, that is so awesome. And and so let's, let's, let's use as an opportunity to dive into some of the things that you do with your kids. So another thing that I thought would be fun to talk about is you told a story somewhere else about bringing your kids along to speaking gigs. And I think that that was really important for me growing up as I saw my dad speaking on stage and, you know, now, now I have a podcast and like, that was just such a, a big thing for me, but in, you know, many parents might look at that and be like, come on, like you should be doing something else. Like, why are you not putting your kids in care? Like you're going to stick them in the front row and just hope they fend for themselves. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your decision to do that? And kind of maybe some of the benefits that have happened is your parents got to, or your kids got to see you, you know, in the limelight and doing what you do. Yes. Well, in pre-COVID as I, as my speaking career grew very exponentially because of the amazing people I knew, sometimes I was traveling two or three times a month and I prioritized quality time with my kids, but I realized why am I FaceTiming them? But it was at the Genius Network annual event where Joe had invited Naveen Jain, the billionaire, to speak. And he said, I include my kids. They come into board meetings with me so they can see how do we negotiate if we have a difference of opinion? How do we still treat each other respectfully, preserve business relationships in a high-pressured setting? And it was like 900 light bulbs. It almost blew my mind because I used to do when they were napping, when they were very little, you know, I exercise laundry, everything I could squeeze in and then quality time with them. And I'm like, wait, why aren't I just including them instead of trying to do it when they're otherwise occupied? And so they came, they've come with me on multiple speaking gigs. They've sat in the, they've sat in the front row. The very first time I tried it, I'm like, okay, that guy in the suit right there owns this whole thing. So if y'all could like not burn it down while mom's on stage, that would be fabulous. Um, But they did so well. My daughter, gosh, she had to have been five at the time after my talk asked me thoughtful questions about what I said. And then my son who was three said, mommy, you are so pretty. Can I have a cookie? I'm like, Oh honey, you should pause just like a brief pause between just a second, just a second. (laughs) The delivery could have been better. (laughs) Um, And so now when, you know, as March 9th, 2020, the schools were closed and I continued my full-time speaking career and working but my kids were home. And so how do I include them? They, they were, the schools were still getting it together in terms of zoom school. It was hard. Everybody had to adjust and they, you know, so I'm trying to homeschool and I realized a very important thing immediately that I can no longer do fourth grade math. <laughs> they changed it. I don't, I don't know they why. <laughs> it's like, have, you, have you seen, have you seen Incredibles too? <laughs> like it's the second Incredibles where that is, oh, that they is, changed me. math. <laughs> I'm like, I am that dad. I'm like, why are they drawing lines and boxes? Just carry the one. Like, why are there 19 extra steps? So I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so many degrees and certifications and I can't do work. <laughs> so absurd. But we created this system here 
and they've heard me give my talks on Zoom so many times, you know, they'll come up and be like, oh, mom, is this the one about that? Or is this where you resuscitate people in pregnancy? My daughter could probably do at least one of my talks for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I love that that insight because there's more layers to that. And I think you do this on multiple levels too. It's not only bringing your kids and including them and bringing them a part of the experience, but like simple things too, like you had said, you know, wait till they're napping for me to do everything. But like, I, I think you had mentioned this somewhere else too. It's just like, you can also work out with your kids, like they're energy balls anyways. Like, oh why God. not just, they're, why not do that together? They're better than a trainer. First of all, they're free. I, Cause I made them. <laughs> uh, and they have way more energy than any other trainer. After a while, I'm like, okay, uh, mommy's tired now. And I'm very active. So now we, we do active time together and we laugh and giggle. And so yes, the more I incorporated them into in my life, the better it got. They get to see mommy chasing her dreams and doing what she's passionate about and doing what she loves instead of me keeping that separate for them. And in no way would I ever pressure either one of them to do my career in any way, because that's not who they are. Currently, I would very much say my daughter is probably going to be an architect. You can't, we could be at a restaurant and she'll take all the little packets, the the, uh, oh, the yeah. cleaner, the little je- the jelly packets too. I used they, to do that too. <laughs> and she, and she'll, but she'll build this really impressive structure that's foundationally secure, but very interesting. I mean, she's been doing that since she was a wow. kid. And I asked my son what he wanted to be last week when he grew up. And I think he was being sarcastic because he said a banana. <laughs> a banana. So. I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know what, what, I don't know what the career, how much studying you need to be to become a banana or yes. what the career path is. I mean, I guess you could be like a mascot or like one of those like <laughs> sign spinners as, as dressed up in a banana. <laughs> yes. Maybe, I don't know, all, all fun things to explore. Other, other topic for kids that, that I thought was super powerful that I knew we had to talk about is you have a tradition of bedtime poems with your kids. So I would, I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about the inspiration that came behind that and, and um, why you view that as something that's so important. Oh my God, the bedtime routine, because there's those things, those anchors in our day, regardless of whatever else we're doing, we know what to expect at bedtime. And any night that I'm not physically in the hospital or out of town, we all do this together. You know, we read, we snuggle, but poems and songs are sticky. You remember it. And as a parent, you don't always know if you're doing things right. You know, generally, do I wait till they're an adult and see how they turn out? (laughs) Hopefully they're good. But you see these little moments. And I remember when my daughter was little and she would try and climb something and everything else. And I would just try and give her mantra, trust yourself, believe in yourself and never be afraid to ask for help. Trust, you know, just something to repeat over so she could say it out loud to herself while she's trying to climb something and knowing she could do it. But also that if you get to a spot you can't do, it's okay to ask for help. I didn't want them to make the mistakes that I made. And my son was trying to climb something. And I was, you know, I was under him because as a, as an ER doc mom, I'm like, oh, gosh, I want them to climb stuff, but I kind of don't. <laughs> I see that but at least you could save them immediately. If yes. they, if they fell. You may not have your tools. So <laughs> yeah. but before I could say anything and he looked nervous and my daughter immediately chimed in, Hey bud, trust yourself, believe in yourself and never be afraid to ask for help. And I'm like, Oh, it worked. <laughs> it worked. And so having those mantras, those things you can rely on that, those support, it just, it makes all the difference. Yeah. And I think it, it, I, I'm going to float this to you if you don't remember the specifics, because I, I wrote the specifics down in my notes here. But there was a meme that that you had, I think you had talked about specifically. There was a quote that talked about like what you say to your children kind of like impacts that. What? So I don't know if you want to share that. So I don't oh want to steal your thunder because I thought that was so powerful. Uh, another one of the, I mean, I love memes. That's my 
basically my base sense of humor. So my husband, <laughs> our love language is the sixth love language, which is text each other stupid memes. <laughs> but but then you see something inspirational. And so this one, it, I, I mean, it stopped me in my tracks. And it said, be careful what you say to your children for your words become their inner voice. And instead of a warning, I realized what an incredible opportunity. What if I gave them that inner voice that is, it's okay, trust yourself, believe in yourself, never be afraid to ask for help. You know, the, the silly poems and songs I make up all the time. <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's funny, but, you know, I've taught them, you know, I love you when you're happy. I love, love you when you're mad. I love you when you're silly. I love you when you're sad. So they know that just because they broke my lamp, I don't love that they broke the lamp, Christopher, um, <laughs> but I still love them. And I've even joked with them about it. My daughter dropped something the other day and it made a mess. And I was like, oh, you know, sorry, I don't love you anymore. She's like, mom, that's crap. I know you love me no matter what I do. Like, ah, yes. Yeah, it works. It works. It works. It works. Yeah. And I, I, my mom did something very similar to me that I'm so grateful for. And it's, <sighs> it's just crazy how it worked because she had me put uh, uh, eight and a half by 11 up above my bed. And I, I had to read it every night, 10 times before I went to bed. And it said, I'm a leader. I will change the world. And I had to read that 10 times every time I went before I went to bed. And it's ironic because my, she had my brother do it. Cause you know, like you, it seems she had like a sense for who her kids were. And my, my brother was always taking things apart and love playing with bionicles and that kind of stuff. And so his said, um, I, I am a, I'm a inventor and I will create something that will change the world. And he's an engineer now. So like, it's just kind of like weird how like, Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's just crazy. So like, that's why when I heard you share that, I'm like, oh, that's so powerful to talk about. Because, you know, like, why not take the opportunity? And I'm like, here, here, I'm a 25 year old with kids not coming in the next few years. But like, I'm so passionate. I still love talking about this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like, why not take the opportunity to subconsciously give them <laughs> the most yeah. powerful, empowering things that they can possibly have, right? Because I had to learn it the hard way. I mean, I, right. it's not that my parents were giving me negative messages, but they just didn't know how powerful, you know, mantra and repetition and positive songs and all those things were. I discovered Zig Ziglar again at the library by myself. Uh, it just, it wasn't their jam. And then as I realized how important that was, the messages I was putting in my head, I also realized there was a lot of crap I needed to get out of my head. Like mm. Joe, like Joe always says, the mental enema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my favorites. That's absurdly hilarious. But to get rid of some of the BS, I thought, well, what if we don't have to wait until we're an adult and try and undo some of that? What if we just start with the positivity thing? And they can, ch- I mean, they'll change the world for sure. It's yeah. amazing. Love that. Yeah, man, you and I could easily do like a three hour podcast interview. So I just got to be careful because this is this is so good. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll do I'll do I'll do one more question kind of on this vein that'll kind of maybe send us towards some of the because I want to talk about as much as I love you, Jamie, I don't want people to see you in your in your job capacity, because yes. if, they, if they're sitting and seeing you, it's probably not a good situation. So we, we want to talk about how to not see Jamie, <laughs> how to not end up in the ER. Uh, maybe if you see her on a speaking gig, that's a different story, but yes. don't don't see her in the hospital. So we'll talk about that. But last thing I've been really curious about this. Did, was your was your husband's last name Hope? Like, come on, Doctor Hope. That's got to be the coolest doctor name of all time. So oh. like that was your that was that is was on that my your... birth certificate. I am Jamie Hope. Oh my gosh. That so do my, you feel like that, do you feel like name. that subconsciously like influenced <laughs> you to like become a doctor? Like doctor, it, that's, that's like the coolest doctor name ever. It might have. And I've, I've had the opportunity to meet, like be classmates with and train some other physicians. I trained with a doctor blessing. Um, Dr. and I trained, and then I, one of my residents that I've trained over the years of lovely guy, Dr. Comfort. And so we loved working together. It was hope and comfort. But one of my colleagues' last name is No. So he's Dr. No. And so when he came on shift with us, I was like, wait, you just made it no hope and comfort. 
get out of here. Go to another pod. <laughs> so. It was so important because I think I think that I mean I'm a copywriter and I, I I know the impact that words have on people and so Dr. Hope is such a I mean look at my name like more than fifty percent of my name is brand like yeah. you know Brandon like <laughs> yeah. you know, here I am doing marketing and that kind of stuff so I always wonder you know it's just like I've heard Brandon Brandon over and over my entire life and it's you know they say it's the most important word in the language is your own name so uh-huh. I so that that's cool I'm and I'm I'm as 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 cool as your husband sound I'm glad that you kept your name because I don't think switching would have would have helped you in your career as a doctor. <laughs> I mean, McKinnon is a lovely name with a glorious heritage, but I am and always will be Dr. Hope. So it, just, it suits me because I've had so many patients say, pay, pay the ultimate compliment. And they say, nobody's ever listened as well as you before. Nobody took the time to do that. And then it's, a lot of times when I'm walking out, they're like, what was your name again? And I say, Dr. Hope. They're like, oh, of course that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's dive into some of this stuff about how to not end up in the ER. And so you have so much content on this. You just you you have your book um, Habit That that anybody can dive into and and deal with, learn all the specifics. But um, this one came from I don't think it saw it in Habit That, but you have an acronym. I think it's in the course that you teach called Empty E M P T Y yes. Empty Your Stress Out. And I think that this is so important, especially you know, as we're emerging back into the real world with COVID and I hate to timestamp an episode, but like, you know, this is relevant no matter when you're listening to this, oh, managing yeah. your stress is so important. So we'd love to dive into empty because I think it's such a powerful thing that people can do to manage their stress levels. Thank you. And honestly, we'll be feeling the repercussions of the pandemic for a decade before it's fully unwound. So there's, this will continue to be timely forever. We're yeah. still getting spikes. So it's always a, always a thing. So empty. So my, my pillars of health, nourishing food, energizing exercise, restorative sleep, and stress release are all interwoven with meaningful connection. Um, and so that matters. But so I was like, gosh, I, people need actionable tools that they can do because sometimes, you, you know, like, oh, go do some deep breathing or meditate. And when I'm like really wound up or had a crazy shift, I can't just clear my mind. That's, mm-hmm. that's not a thing for a lot of us really active entrepreneur types. So I needed something a little more practical. I'm an ER doc. Like I, I stitch stuff. I put a bone back in. I'm, I'm like straightforward. I'm very practical. So I came up with empty. And so the E stands for eliminate. There are so many things that we're doing that we don't necessarily need to be doing. I remember one day I was in my yard cleaning up dog poop, which is fine. I have two, two large, glorious rescue dogs. And it's not that I think I'm too good for poop. It's not that I'm grossed out by poop. I mean, please, I've seen way worse stuff than that in the ER. But I realized that that was taking away time that I could be doing better service to other people. And so now I pay somebody to do that, which is great because then it helps with their income. And my time is freed up that I can live in my superpower. And I thought, what other crap in my life (laughs) can I eliminate that I don't, it needs to be done, but do I need to be the one doing it? And we've got a little bit of ego around delegation. We always think we're the only one who can do it and do do it right, but there are things that I'm just not terribly interested in. I'm not as good at. And so to eliminate that or delegate it or automate it so I can continue to spend the majority of my time in my superpower just made so much more sense. So that, that eliminating. And also there are some people in our lives that are toxic. They're just, they're not healthy. They're not helpful for us. And they say, you're the average of the five people you hang around most. And so sometimes we need to eliminate relationships in a healthy way for a reason. Not to be clear, I'm not saying eliminate people like kill them like the Terminator. <laughs> I'm just saying, mm-hmm. but maybe they're not. I had a person in my life who was such an energy vampire. Every time we got off the phone, I was, I was tired. I was grumpy. I'm like, 
why, why do I need this? And so to take the time to see what is serving you in your life and anything that you can automate, delegate, or eliminate, just it's such a stress relief. So that yeah. is the, the E and empty. M is minimize. Oh, God. I was, I was just going to add one thing because I heard this and if it's exactly what you were talking about, I was on a, a mastermind call the other day and somebody shared this quote that I thought was so good. It was God puts people in my life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Uh, I was like, oh man, I like, I like, I like the rhyme too. It's just yeah. talking about rhyming. But like, I think that, that, that makes it a lot easier to understand that, you know, some people are not there for the whole time and that you need to oh. understand if it is a relationship that, that doesn't make the most sense to continue with. So love that. I know. Well, even my trampoline BFF Erica. Um, and we've <laughs> run into each other occasionally over the years, but she's a great person. Nothing. We never had a falling out, but we outgrew each other and went in different directions and that mm-hmm. that's okay. So I didn't, we didn't intentionally eliminate each other. It just, it was that season. Mm-hmm. And by the way, yeah. she turned out just fine. Her elbow healed well, and she's great. Good. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> um, and so the M is for minimize because there are some things that no matter what we can't eliminate. I would like to eliminate things like paying taxes and blah, blah, blah. But I just don't think prison time is really going to fit my schedule. So, but how can we minimize what things, like if it's a toxic person, how can you minimize your exposure? But also for anything that's stressful, how can you minimize the impact on you? And I love my work in the ER. It is stressful though. So the way I minimize the impact is pre-shift, you know, good night's sleep, nourishing food, energizing exercise. Unless I start at six in the morning, then I'll work out after the shift because that's early enough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, making sure I'm good and healthy and motivated, like listen to some good music or a great inspirational podcast like this one on the way in. So I'm ready, focused and present when I'm there and then do your shift and what comes comes. I mean, I've seen some horrific, tragic, terrible stuff and then minimize the impact afterwards by having the come down like tradition and, and, you know, relax, sleep, connect with other people, share my experiences instead of bottling them up inside. So even if you can't minimize something in time, you can minimize the impact on you. Love that. So we got eliminate, minimize, and the P, what's the P? So P is for people. So I, this is from uh, Tracy Stanton, who is a doctor who, emergency doctor, who is just glorious and brilliant. And I love her. And she had a principle of the 12 people um, that was a little different, but I've, I've kind of adapted her rules. So there are five types of people you want to have in your life. So Number one is the people who like the way for you. These are the people who host podcasts, who teach, who train, who inspire. They're the ones showing you the possibilities, who you can become, what you can be. And that's who you want to learn from. So having those types of people in your life, you don't have to know them in person. I'm very fortunate to actually know you in real life. (laughs) But even if people don't know you personally, they can listen, they can learn and all the amazing people you connect with. So you need those people lighting the way. Um, Number two is your tribe. These are the people you hang out with. These are your, your golf buddies, your volleyball team, your card playing club, your family, your friends, the people you're just yourself with them. And it just, you get to hang out and be who you are. And it's absolutely amazing. Number three is who would take a bullet for you to be clear, not who would you take a bullet for who would take a bullet for you. That is an indicator of how well you're showing up in your relationships. Are you working too hard and not really spending that quality time? Like asking them, how are you doing? You asked, like you texted me today, how is your son doing after his surgery? That's the kind of people you want in your life that take the time to listen, to care and all of those things. So who, who would take a bullet for you? Those are the relationships that you want to nourish 
and grow and take care of and take the time no matter how busy you are. Um, number four is your fail friend. You have to have at least one. I encourage multiple. And that's the people you don't have to act like everything is glorious. Like you had this big, <laughs> you know, million dollar opening of your new thing and everything is great. These are people you're like, oh, I completely screwed that up. That was a hot mess. Or I yelled at the kids to get their shoes. Or I really should have included this in the book and I didn't. And I didn't get this launched in time. And you feel bad. Because we need to get that out. We need to stop all acting like we're perfect for God's sake. Nobody is. And so to be able to share those in a safe place where they're not going to be like, oh, no, no, you didn't mess up. But, but respect, like, gosh, you know, that's hard. Let's like, let me hear you out. Let's do this together. It's very validating to have somebody to listen to and to be able to share so authentically and vulnerably. It just makes us more human and so much more deeply connected. Uh, and then lastly, who are you lighting the way for? So you have the luminaries, you know, your fail friends, your tribe, but who are you lighting the way for? There's some reason that you're doing what you're doing and other people want to learn. They want to grow. So who are you mentoring, teaching, reaching a hand out to, to bring them along with you? And that is one of the most gratifying things that we can do as a successful anything. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Love that. And I think, I think, you know, so many people talk about the five people quote, but I've never heard, I never heard it framed with like, the, you know, look within these categories as well. It's like a way to go a little bit deeper. Cause it's always like, okay, five people, five awesome people. But I think it's nice to have this frame that you can look for different categories. And I love that. The, I love all of these, but I love the addition to the, of the mentees and making sure mm-hmm. that you are transferring your knowledge because I found that it, it, it helps you to have a better understanding of the subject if you have to teach it. And so like, that's kind of like yes. something I, I, that, that I know you, you share that value as well. So love, love that. So uh, we got em- eliminate, minimize people. And then uh, we got the five categories underneath that luminaries, fail friends, tribe, bullet friends, and mentees. And then we got uh, T and Y left. So what is, what does the T stand for? Yes. Thankfulness. Uh, Sean Stevenson said grief and gratitude don't coexist. Uh, and, and I actually do disagree as brilliant as he is. And as much as I mourned his death, I was on the phone with his physicians the night he passed, which was just so tragic. But I think the, the gratitude helps, helps with the grief, helps with the stress. So having a regular gratitude practice just for your day is useful. Writing it down like a miracle morning style, things that you're grateful for. I love the miracle morning, but I have also found to to bring that up another notch. So when the kids are, you know, breaking lamps and being loud and driving me crazy before I say anything, I'm like, okay, in my head, okay, here's 10 reasons I'm grateful for them. There's 10 reasons I'm grateful for Christopher before I remind him for the like fifth time, please don't break the lamps. Um, or, you know, fighting with your significant other or being frustrated with just somebody at work, like just stop. Like, okay. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm not happy that you did this, but here's 10 reasons you're grateful. And it, it's even different than taking a deep breath before you speak to someone or count to 10. And then it just it reminds you, it helps put it in perspective. So that's been the thankfulness practice that I've used and it's made such a huge difference. I think it's really up-leveled my parenting. Love that. Love that. And then the why, the last one, we'll get that in because there's, there's so much I want to dive into beyond this. So, yes. but this is so good. <laughs> and this, this is super simple. You time self-care isn't selfish. <laughs> You can't carry the weight of the world with a broken back. You can't fix the world with broken hands. You time. So nourishing food, energizing exercise, restorative sleep, stress release, and meaningful connections. The reason I was able to survive this pandemic, Detroit got hit the third hardest in the country after New York and Washington. I was homeschooling kids and again, suck at fourth grade math. 
and all these <laughs> things. And the reason I was able to not just survive, but actually get stress growth out of it and thrive was because I had my self-care practices firmly in place. Yeah. So we came out of it for the better. And that makes all the difference. So I, I constantly encourage people, entrepreneurs, you like to learn, burn the candle on both ends. There's a little bit of machismo, like, oh, I worked this hard or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that, that's absurd. Just stop it. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself because then you can do better for other people. Yeah. And I'll repeat it one more time because I've had people, listeners tell me like, I'm taking notes, like like, like <laughs> I'm on a treadmill or something. So E stands for eliminate, M stands for minimize, P stands for people, the five people inside of there, the luminaries, the fail friends, the tribe, the, the bullet people and the mentees, thankfulness and you time. And you can empty and use that to minimize your stress. So, so powerful. So uh, there's another, there's two other core topics that I was hoping we have enough time to dive into. Inside of your book, Habit That, I love the way the book is organized, first of all. So the first part is like motivation and momentum and kind of talking about the fundamental things that need to be in place before you actually do any of this stuff, right? And then you go dive into the four pillars of health, eat, sleep, burn, and release. But above all of all of that, kind of like kind of the early part of your book, this is this is kind of shares on our, our friend Benjamin Hardy's stuff that I think is so, so important is that no matter what diet you try to take on or what workout exercise that you're doing, none of that matters unless you have your mindset right. Because if you're not in that, in, in alignment with who you truly believe you are, um, you know, it's so important. So I know you have lots of incredible content about creating identity shifts or, or like the, uh, getting in placing different labels and understandings into what you are doing. So we'd love to talk about this a little bit and how we can create an identity that, that actually belongs before all the habit stuff that, that we need to create. Yeah. I mean, people come to me all the time. You're so right. They come, they're like, what's the magic diet? What's the magic exercise program that'll fix everything. And if that worked, there wouldn't be a, like a $60 billion diet industry. Right. <laughs> you know, people want to jump to the end, but first you have like, you have to back up and understand that thing. So I call it the name tag effect. How you view yourself is how you will act. Mm. If you view yourself as a yo-yo dieter or a diet failure or a carb addict or you loser, whatever it is, that's the name tag you are unconsciously wearing around. So no matter how many efforts you make in the other direction, your brain wants, it doesn't like cognitive dissonance. It doesn't like, okay, well, I know that I'm a diet failure, but I'm on a diet. Don't worry. We'll fail soon. No problem. Right? So you have to, again, the mental enema and get rid of some of those old unhealthy labels because how you view yourself is how you will act. And so I encourage people to put on a name tag, like, hello, my name is (laughs) a healthy person. A healthy person doesn't do crazy fad diets and, and other stuff. They nourish their body in the long game. A healthy person knows that you can like have a brownie once in a while. And it's not this, like, I hate all the negative words we have around food. Get to sin or a cheat day or blah, blah, blah. It's so negative. There's so much shame and guilt. If shame and guilt burned calories, we'd all be skinny. <laughs> so it's absurd. So just, a healthy person knows they can have a, they can have a treat once in a while. I, I'm my 70-30 principle at least. And so like, first, who are you as a person? What is your name tag effect? Be very aware Physical, like actually imagine it in your mind, sticking on you, peel off some of those old stickers, choose your new sticker. Like, I am a seven figure millennial, boom, put it on as a name tag. Mm-hmm. And then your brain is like, okay, I need to act and be in a way that fits my name tag. Cause your brain wants that. I'm like, okay, I need to get my funnels ready. I need to do my marketing launch. I need to get my ads, you know, all those different marketing things. I need to write good copy. Your brain wants to follow your name tag. Mm -hmm. So if you do that first, 
And you have to be deeply connected with it. If it's something you don't really care about, like I could go to law school. I could be a great student. I'm, I'm a nerd. I, there's not, I could learn it, but I'm not excited about it. I don't want to. So I, I'm not connected with the why I would want to do that. And so make sure that you are really connected with what motivates you to want to want to do this and get your name tag on, get yourself in the right mindset first, and then you can achieve anything. That's the people who achieve long-term sobriety. That's the people who create a successful multi-million dollar business in the long-term because they have their name tag firmly in place and they know why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just another way to say this that I think is important is like, labels I think it's another way of just saying like filter too like the filter because like Mm -hmm. instead of making a million small decisions like oh I should eat this I should eat that like you can make one decision upgrade your label or your filter and then that's what you make your decisions through is just having that that understanding totally that's such a good way to look at it yeah so um identity shift and then I know we obviously don't have time to go into the the four pillars and stuff like this but I I would be I would be shooting myself in the foot I, if I didn't talk about or at least ask you about one of your other core topics and it's kind of you kind of talked about it and seeded it throughout um this interview but you know the first time I heard it come up is like who am I to go talk to Joe Polish like who right. am I to go be a doctor who who am I to, or who am I to jump from being a doctor and going into the speaking world and so um, you know, I think you articulated this way, but it's like a disease, you know, it's like, if you have this disease of not believing you can actually do something, it's going to hold you back from so much. And everybody suffers from it. I suffer from it. I'm sure you still suffer from time. No one ever beats this kind of thing, but like there are ways to minimize it and be more free to help us actually move forward more powerfully. So as somebody that has studied this topic a lot and give talks on this all the time, we'd love to kind of hear some of your thoughts on how we can overcome imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it is so, so relevant. In fact, I, I met a friend who reached out to me because of I talk so much about imposter syndrome. And to be clear, this person has a, a higher than hundred million dollar net worth and still experiences imposter syndrome. So it is a disease of the successful. Like if you're, if you're, I mean, scrubbing a toilet, nobody feels like an imposter. Any one of us can do that. Right. But to step up to that level. And I experienced it at genius network and it was so gratifying and so humbling that so many other people who I consider substantially more successful than I am, also experience it. So, uh, you know, as a doctor, I look at things like a disease. So what are the signs and symptoms? Things like comparisonitis, where we're looking at the awesome things that we have accomplished, but then you compare it to somebody who just had a, you know, $25 million launch. And we start to feel smaller and shrink and thinking that, oh my gosh, they're so much better. But what I, what I've learned in, and I teach this, uh, is like getting off that scale and stuff. The truth is the person you're talking to is awesome, but that doesn't mean you can't also be awesome. They didn't use it all up. (laughs) There's some left for us. (laughs) It's an infinite resource and only you can be awesome in the unique way that you can. I am not destined to become like the top Amazon seller, selling like widgets or fidgets or plastic bananas on Amazon. That's not my destiny. So somebody is going to always be way more successful at that than I am. That's okay. So when I say when you're comparing yourself, just shake it off and realize they didn't use it all up. And so there's tons of stuff. I mean, we're shooting on ourselves. We're perfectionists. We do some self-sabotage, all these lists of things that we do, but it's all in the name of imposter syndrome. This is a disease that thrives in the darkness, Hmm. in the quiet recesses of our mind. And the more you talk about it, and the, the irony is the very first time I spoke about this on a national stage, 
that I knew was being videotaped in New York in this huge theater. Right before I went up, the one of the co- directors of the conference said, by the way, the person speaking before you is an internationally recognized speaker. And the person speaking after you is an internationally recognized speaker. And this is my first time ever being on a stage outside of like local stuff. I was like, mm-hmm. that did not help my imposter syndrome at all. And I'm the one talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the feminine one that, that, yeah, that, that okay, was wow, crazy. Very first one. So that was when I was going up on stage. And then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. There'll be two people in the audience that can relate and everyone else is going to think I'm a complete idiot. And I actually am an imposter because I'm up there talking about it. But as, as fate would have it, it turns out it's, I'm not the only one who experiences it. Otherwise it would be named after me. This is more than 70% of affluent, successful, hardworking people. And so I wondered like, okay, when all the studies said 70%, I'm like, who are the other 30% then that don't have this? You know, I wanted to study that. And so my completely unscientific, unresearched answer is that 30% consists of three types of people. Number one, liars (laughs) 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 who say that they don't experience any type of imposter syndrome. Number two are the unnecessarily overconfident. (laughs) If you've ever met somebody like that. Yeah, there's other names for that as well. <laughs> yes, where their confidence far outstrips their skills and contribution. Yeah, they don't have it. Uh, and then number three, I think, are people in recovery who have experienced imposter syndrome, who use the tools to fight against it, and then speak to others so that they might join that percentage so we can make it grow. So I love talking about it because it really does hold us back from approaching Joe Polish, approaching Naveen Jane. I went up ahead to Naveen Jane and had a conversation with him, for goodness sake. And it turns out he's just like a, a human being. It's crazy, right? Um, yeah. So, we're yeah. all, all human beings. I think that's so important too. And I think in, in your talk, which we'll link up in the show notes, is so good. It's just like, it happens at every single level. I think some of the people you mentioned in your talk are like, you know, Randy Zuckerberg or yeah. Einstein, I think has a quote in there, you know, like there's so many, so many people that, that we look up to, but I think it, to realize that you're not alone. And the other thing too, and Jamie, maybe for you to comment on this, like what I have those days, like absolutely oh, totally. have those days where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I don't, <laughs> I don't get this. Like, I sometimes I just accept that I'm in that mood and I'm just going to, I'm like, I'm going to let myself have a new day tomorrow, <laughs> but I'm not going to try to fight against it. So like, is that how you kind of approach it when you kind of like, you just got to sit in it or like, how do you kind of like m- deal with it when it's actually happening? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, pretending it's not there, I'd be like, oh, everything is magical and unicorns are farting glitter everywhere and life is perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absurd. So kind of have my things like, okay, yep. I am feeling this. I'm very aware of my feelings. Um, I try to have positive stuff. Like I write on my mirror, who am I not to? And kind of I'm aware if, if I'm holding myself back, who am I not helping because of that? So sometimes if we can't do it for ourselves, we can do it for someone else. Mm-hmm. So just different ways to get out of it. But oh my gosh, yes, I still get this. Every time I try and stretch or reach for something new, immediately that imposter syndrome voice, it's like a fly swatter. It's like, you can't do it. Who are you to do this? And now I have the tools to say, okay, it's just some imposter syndrome talking. I can do this. And it just, yeah. it, it's, like any, it's like working out a muscle. You just have to keep doing it over and over. And it does, I promise you guys, it does get stronger. It gets better. It never goes away, but it gets so much easier. Yeah. On a very similar note, because I mean, sometimes it's self-inflicted, right? But other times <laughs> there's something that happens where it's like, it, it happens as a result of someone else. And I know, totally. I think you and I have had this conversation. I remember a very specific spot that we were sitting in Genius Network. We were talking about some of the shit that you've had to deal with as far as like just being, you know, a young, young 
you know, woman, very successful woman doctor that like, you know, sometimes people view you as like too young for some of the things that you've been able to do. And I know, I know you were one of the younger people that became, you know, board certified, or maybe you can correct me and add that kind of stuff. But you know, you, you have harassment that you have to deal with occasionally, people not taking you seriously, people insulting you. So like, do you have a story that maybe of one of those things and then how you were able to kind of process that and handle that? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I have so many where, which one do I unpack? Um, even, even just going, going back to that teacher in high school who said I wasn't college material. And I didn't hear the quote until years later, because I have been told like, you can't do, you are, you know, you're a woman, you can be anything you want as a physician, as long as it's a pediatrician, family practice, or OBGYN, you can have any profession you want. And I love those professions. I love them all. I love the people who work in them, but that wasn't what I was drawn to. And I, I, it's typically a more a man's field in emergency medicine, especially when I started, there were not very many women, not a lot of people who looked like me. And I was one of, I think I was the youngest partner in the group. And they're like, oh, you're too, you're too sweet. I was told many times you don't belong in emergency medicine. You're not, you're too nice. You're too bubbly. You're too outgoing. And I'm like, gosh, you know, if I'm there on the worst day of my life, I would sure want somebody who was nice. Like, what kind of stupid advice is that? I had so many people tell me, like, you gotta stop being so nice. <laughs> that is like the most. But you want a mean doctor? What is it? What is the opposite of that? What are they looking right? for? <laughs> go, shut yourself off. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. So, I mean, tons of bad advice along the way. And then the, the time that I heard the quote, you know, you take all the bricks other people throw at you and use it for the foundation of your success. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that hurts. Like, I, I mean, I have cried. I'm, I'm going to be real. Like I had, I was doing some lives and so, you know, about COVID and stuff, particularly in the first spike of the pandemic, because I was, I was in the thick of it. I was working in Detroit and my hospital had more COVID patients than any. And so I was doing some, some lives to help reassure people, like, here's what you can do. Here's all this stuff. And I got a really nasty text from one of my partners about it. And I cried, it hurt really bad. And I, I you know, I, I had lots of retorts <laughs> that I wanted to come up with, but instead I said, I would love to discuss this with you. I'm available if you'd like to call me. And then he's like, nope, I'm going to bed. Good night. And then the next day I apologized. He was just going through his stress and stuff and took it out on me. But that hurts. Like somebody I cared about, somebody that I trusted to kind of attack me like that for doing social media stuff where a lot of people were saying it was, it was helpful. It was a voice of calm, a voice of reinsurance during one of the most uncertain times ever. So it, it hurt. I, I took the stab, but then the next day, like, okay. How do I even like pre-apology? I didn't need the apology, but it was nice, but it's like, okay, well, who am I as a person? And I can do valuable things and I can share with people and I have the ability to articulate it. So who am I not to? Yeah. Just had to another, another lens to add on to that too, is like, if something is triggering you, it's, it's like, if somebody triggered you like oh. externally, it's a great opportunity for you to look internally as to why it bothered you to begin with. And so you were just talking about like flexing these muscles, yep. like, like, well, like it's something you have to keep doing. So it's not, it's not that it ever gets super easy. Maybe, maybe yes. one day when you become as old as Joel Weldon, <laughs> our mutual friend. Like, that's what, been on the show. Maybe, right? Yeah. Oh like God. 300 or something like that. The social security <laughs> number is seven. I love Joel. Yeah, I love that joke. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, Joel's also been on the show. If you're listening, you haven't listened to that episode. Joel's great. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think it obviously gets, you know, you can make it less damaging over time. So, yeah. and that was so, minimize, so good. Minimize the impact. Like, okay, what can I, what can I do about this? Cause I can't, you can't live your life for what you think other people are thinking about you. Mm-hmm. You just, you have to. So, but that, that was a bounce back, but again, it's using those. Okay. The next day, like, how can I use that brick to build a firm foundation? Oh, found a weak spot in my armor. 
I'm sensitive about that. Why? What do I need to do? How can I make myself better? And not an armor that keeps people out, but an armor that keeps me psychologically safe. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we're running up on time. And like I said, we could, we could do hours here. But, um, there, th- this is, this is one that's not, I don't know how to categorize this one, but I, I came across a one-liner in your book that I was like, Ooh, this is, this is, I haven't heard you talk about this and I would love to zoom in here. So uh, I think the line was something along the lines of like, you basically have to do lots of speed dating when you're in the, in the <laughs> ER, it's like within three minutes, they're naked and telling you about like all their life problems that landed up inside of the ER. And so in order, in order to do that, you have to have such a level of rapport and trust that you can have with someone to make them happen. So, you know, I think lots of the people listening would love to understand how you do that in such a short time period and so that we could borrow that and maybe apply that to client relationships, partners or whatever that is. So maybe we'd love to kind of hear some of the things that you think about when you're building a relationship with a client or a, a patient that you need to help. Yes. And it, it, it is, a, you know, primary care physicians, OBGYNs, cardiologists, they get to build long-term relationships with their patients. They could do you know, have that trust. I'm seeing people on the worst day of their life. They have no idea who I am. They're meeting me for the first time. And I'm asking them very personal questions. Like if we were at a cocktail party and I asked you these, I'd probably get thrown out. Yeah. But I need, I mean, I need them naked literally and figuratively because I need to know what's going on. So people need to, it's necessary that they disclose to me potentially dangerous behaviors, drugs, alcohol, unprotected sex, all those things. And I, I make it very clear to people. I am not judging. I am not a cop nor can I report you. I just want to make sure that the medicine we're putting in you to help you isn't going to interact. So they need to know where I'm coming from. They've done studies that on average, a doctor will interrupt a patient within 18 seconds of the patient starting to tell their story. 18 seconds. And I remember being horrified by that. And then, so, you know, as I'm training and stuff, and then, cause we want to ask questions. We have, you know, we want to get them to the, to the end answer. And so that was such an incredible moment for me where I learned a very important skill and that is shut up (laughs) like for real into, I introduce myself. I sit, I make contact. I'll make physical contact in a case where it's appropriate. Um, during the pandemic, we certainly weren't shaking hands or anything, but I wanted them to know I'm not afraid of you. I'm not grossed out by you. I know a lot of HIV patients said, you know, when the doctors come in the room, they won't shake their hand. Well, that's absurd. You can't catch HIV through a handshake, but there a lot of them aren't you know, or with certain diseases, people don't usually touch them. Like you, if I have the opportunity, I will research the patient before I go in the room. So I'll read through their prior charts. If I have the opportunity, I mean, every time you're talking to a guest, you are one of the most thoughtful, the the quotes, the things, the time you put into it created the psychological safety. You could probably ask me like any absurd question and I'm going to answer (laughs) because I feel so safe with you. And I feel like you took the time to care about me to know who I am as a person, to know the work I'm passionate about and allow me a chance to bring that out. So I just do the same thing with patients so that they feel safe. And so it's the, to know them, to listen, there's nothing more validating to a human being than to be listened to. That makes all the difference. Yeah. Just core fundamental knowledge. So, so powerful. And thank you for the kind words. I really, really appreciate that. And I I said it was the last one, but I always do this. And then I just thought of something (laughs) else that I think, okay. So like there's, there's, there's the point where you need to listen to a patient, you need to find out what's going on. But then there's the craziness of the ER where like, you know, you can have people that are just 
you know, sp- I think I've heard you say people spit at you, throw oh, a yeah. punch at you. Like I've that been kind punched. Of stuff. I've been kicked. I've been assaulted multiple times. Yeah. That's a Rid- little harder yeah. to reason with those people. Yeah. So I know you have some, like any, any, how do you verbally, how do you deescalate those kind of situations? Like, you know, maybe we can save someone's life right now. Like if you're in a crazy yeah. situation, someone's about to throw down with you, you know, how, how do you handle those situations? Maybe that insight can help someone's in some way too. You know, and I've learned in a lot of ways. Now I can tell who's going to throw a punch. I'm really good at that. Um, <laughs> but Chris Voss, who we, who we both know through Genius Network, a former FBI hostage negotiator. And he and I got along great when we were hanging out because we both worked in these super high stakes, high stress professions. And it's, don't, don't ever tell anyone to calm down for God's sake. In the history of calming down, being told to calm down has never calmed anyone down. <laughs> it's, like, it's like throwing fire on it. But to, I've had patients, you know, they, they just, they're mad. And you can tell when someone's mad because then they start finding random things and like, and there's a scratch on that curtain and a spot on this floor. They're looking for every reason to be mad. So it's kind of getting that radio DJ voice. You never want to be perceived as condescending or patronizing because that'll just end any interaction, but just, like sit and just listen to their grievances. You, you know, you're going to have clients. You're going to have people that are, that are mad, that are frustrated, that want to quit or they want to refund. Listen, even if they, you don't ultimately retain them as a customer or a client, you're going to learn valuable information. So those magical skills, I'm, I'm known as a good diagnostician and I, I would love to take amazing credit for that, but it's just above average listening skills. So just taking the time and, and to just sit, down, let them rage, let them yell. It's okay. They are ex- what I tell my kids this all the time. What you're feeling is real. Well, you know, all your feelings are valid. Let's let's work through them, but in a safe way. You can't, you know, break stuff or you know, hit your sister. But you, we, this is real. What you're experiencing. Let's talk through it. And so, anytime you are in a situation where things are escalating, put, remove yourself as an escalator from the situation. If you're triggered and they're triggered, nothing useful is going to happen. Sometimes it's bringing somebody else in. I had a you know high ranking person in my. ER come to me because their patient was very upset, triggered, yelling, wanted to complain about them. So I went in there, sat, listened to the whole story. And by the end of it, the patient ultimately didn't file a complaint because they felt like they had been heard. And what happened was rectified. So it's amazing what that can do. So those, those kind of skills, but always put your safety first. I mean, if somebody's high on PCP in the ER, they're throwing punches at me and they're twice my size, like ain't no amount of reasoning gonna, gonna do that. So just know your situation. That's yeah. for people who outside of an ER, that's going to be a pretty rare situation, <laughs> but you're going to see stuff in business where people are mad. And that's a great opportunity. Who wrote the book? Listen or die. That's such a good book. Oh, I feel terrible. I uh, forgot who wrote it. Sean, I have it on my shelf, but anyways. no, no, never mind. That's happiness equation. Yeah. But anyway, but it's just, it, and just even that concept, just listen. Just listen. Sean McDade, by yes, the way. I just thank you. Like, oh, I, I can picture his face and everything. He's such a great guy. Sean, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. But but taking that time, and when, then once they get it all out, until then, if people still have 10 more grievances in their head that they're mulling over, they're not listening to what you're saying. It's like yeah. the, the first time you tell somebody that they have cancer, most of the things you say after that, they don't remember. Because all they hear mm-hmm. in their head is, you have cancer, you have cancer, you have cancer, you have cancer. So now as I'm walking through the next, they're not listening. Yeah. So making sure that they have that opportunity to get that out. 
Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. Somebody listening, now you know what happens if you swallow a button battery. Uh, yes. we, we, we now know how to de-escalate situations. We know how to overcome stress, overcome imposter syndrome. So this has been this has been so much fun, Jamie. I really appreciate it. And I always like to kind of conclude on this, this question recently. Um, just been asking everyone this, but what, what does happiness mean to you today, Jamie? I love this question. And having listened to the podcast, I was... I, I actually spent a good amount of time mulling this over and the <laughs> answer was right in front of me. It was so obvious. Sometimes I think we, we overthink, we so many things going on, but watch a dog. Like w- when you come home and they greet you and they're wagging their tail, watch a kid who you, all you gave them was a ball or something. And then they're just like blissfully hitting it against the wall and having a good time. Just enjoy yourself. And I, I, I learned from them. My kids and my dogs are my mentors as much as the reverse of that and just allow yourself to be, to enjoy the thing in front of you. I'm a big fan of unitasking now instead of multitasking. And I learned that from them. And then that is the ultimate, just in the moment, tail wagging happiness. Yeah. Love that. Great, great role models. Great example to follow. So love, love that. Jamie, where can people find out more about the incredible stuff you're doing? (laughs) See one of the 40 bajillion talks that you give every single year and uh, how to avoid you at the hospital. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love you, but please don't come see me professionally in the hospital. I don't want you there. Um, So my website is drhopehealth.com. That's my Twitter and uh, Instagram handle. My Facebook group is the Habit That Tribe. And I post content there. And uh, with Brandon's mentorship and ongoing support, I'm sure (laughs) I'm going to be launching uh, some additional things to help people this year. I already have a course and and that kind of stuff. But now that we've made it through the worst part of COVID, I feel ready because this is what I was going to do last year. And then, you know, that whole global pandemic thing. But but to really get an opportunity to share these tools, because my goal as Brianna Greenspan from the Miracle Morning, who is one of my favorite people, laughs in such a nice way. She's like, your actual goal is to put yourself out of work. And I said, yes, ideally everybody would be so healthy, so good at self-care, so well taken care of that they don't need me at any of my jobs. And that would be happiness. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so, so cool. Won't say anything else. There's a mic drop. So I just wanted to have a quick (laughs) conversation with, with you listening right now. If you are brand new, I want to say welcome. It has been an absolute honor. You could have chosen to be anywhere else on the internet right now, listening to any other episode. You decided to drop what you were doing and hang out with me and Dr. Hope today. So hopefully you learned a ton. I know I did, and I hope you become a regular listener and subscriber. And if you're returning, I want to say thank you. You are absolutely what makes this possible. I truly, truly appreciate you. And whether you are new or returning, I have a favor to ask you. And that is if you have listened to something today that Jamie shared some of her crazy (laughs) stories about how to overcome imposter syndrome, about swallowing a button battery or just something that'd be fun to share with a friend. I promise you, you will look super cool if you share this with a friend because they're going to listen to it and be blown away. And so uh, I, my life has absolutely been changed by podcasts that people have shared with me. So if you have a friend that could, could leverage some of the knowledge and insights that we've shared today, please share that with them. Um, And then if you could also leave a review that would help a ton, if you go to sevenfigurmillennials.com slash review. uh, And if you choose to do that, I will absolutely send you a little bit of a thing. Thank you gift as well. So that's a little bit of a bonus. But besides that, Jamie, thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for, for coming on and sharing your knowledge today. This has been so much fun. And I look forward to talking to you very, very soon. I know where else I'd rather be. Thank you so much for your time today. This was wonderful. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.